You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just on 8.10 in the Central African time, uh, let's welcome a pious and sagacious Ummah with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh as we go through the tapestry of life and as we see the sickle of time mowing people down. And Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu said it so beautifully, he that walks on the surface of this earth will one day get into his belly. But alhamdulillah, summa alhamdulillah, as you go through this, uh, you know, these scenes, this drama, the scenario, you'll see people come and people go. And, uh, you know, when the child is born, the happiness in the family, the jubilation, the father, the mother, the grandfather, the extended family, all embracing and celebrating and welcoming a toddler into the dunya and in the house of Islam. What beautiful rituals giving azan in the ear. And alhamdulillah, so many other sunnah are followed. And uh, this is what makes it uh, so beautiful to usher in a uh, new human being into the dunya. And to be a pediatrician, you know, the joy of seeing these innocent faces, these masoom faces. And alhamdulillah, when, uh, you know, you make eye contact with a little or a little baby, and the eye contact alone says so much. You know, you wink at them, they'll wink back at you. You give them a smile, they'll give you a smile at you. And, you know, if you, some of us get say, this thing, we want to make them scared. We don't do that. You know, some try and do that. I don't know. But I never did that to a kid. I always got a beautiful reaction from them. And I also get a beautiful reaction from the doctor that I have uh, this uh, evening. He's a pediatrician, someone that I embrace, I celebrate, and I get along very well with him. And also his family members is our very own uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. Dr. Asalaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. And Jazakallah Khair for joining us on uh, the platforms of uh, Medical Files on Marqa Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Alaikum Salaam wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, my dear brother Shafat, and to the listeners as well. Always good to hear from you. I tell you, it's a very reciprocal, and as I said in the introduction, that uh, you add uh, value to the station. And already, you know, as I said, uh, we have our files. There's so many questions that have come in for you. So let's kick off, uh, kick off with the questions that, that have come through, and I'm sure you all are ready. I tell you, uh, the doctor hasn't seen any of this, and it's uh, just, uh, you know, it's coming to him like I'm uh, bowling and he's batting. The first question uh, that I have here is from uh, Sister Anissa. She says, Assalamu alaikum, Brother Shafaat. This is for the pediatrician. She says, how often, um, you know, do babies uh, uh, succumb to uh, diaper rashes? Uh, how often, you know, especially, uh, you know, maybe we may look at it in the Muslim side of it. Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, these commercial diapers and uh, we had the cotton diapers. But uh, Muslim babies, how often do they uh, succumb to diaper rashes, uh, doctor? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I begin by praising Almighty Allah. I ask Him to guide us, to protect us and to bless us. And I send abundant salam on our beloved Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakallah khair to the sister for her question. Diaper rashes are very common in babies. And the simple reason for that is because they wear diapers. So the risk factors for a diaper rash or what we would call a diaper dermatitis is wearing a diaper. And that's why it's common in children. Uh, also, they have, you know, frequent uh, episodes where they pass urine, they pass stool, that tends to sit there for a while. And the contact with those excreta and the skin causes an irritation to the skin, and that predisposes them to these rashes. So there's no difference between a Muslim and a non-Muslim baby getting a rash because they all wear diapers, they all pass urine, they all pass stool. It's all got to do with the, the time that 
that urine or stools is in contact with the skin because remember the skin of a newborn baby is very sensitive it's still immature it's not fully developed so the the, the lining of the skin is also very thin and the urine and stool has certain types of a product that can irritate and cause damage and inflammation to the skin and that's what makes them prone to these rashes so the crux of the matter is when we have a baby it's very important to try and keep the nappy area as dry as possible which means frequent nappy changes that's the first thing and we must remember a newborn baby especially will wet their nappy about 6 to 8 times a day so we should be looking at changing that nappy at least every every 3 hours on average The second very important thing to preventing these diaper rashes is to always use a barrier cream for the baby. So a barrier cream is any cream that contains usually um, zinc or, or something similar to zinc that helps to protect the skin of the newborn baby in the diaper area, and it also helps to protect the skin from the elements within the diaper area, which is urine and stools. So it's very important to keep the nappy area dry by changing the nappy frequently and secondly to always use a barrier cream a good quality bump cream after each and every nappy change. Jazakallah khair for that uh, doctor your questions are, are mashallah I think they're all smiling and they said hey, it's going to be <laughs> answered by Dr. Ridwan Umar the pediatrician uh, this question from anonymous sister she says I'm breastfeeding can my diet affect my baby's stool doc So firstly I think we must congratulate the sisters for breastfeeding and I would encourage all our listeners out there who do have babies or have uh, family who who have newborn babies to encourage them and support these breastfeeding mothers breastfeeding is by far the best way to nourish our babies and it is one of the blessings that Allah Taala has given the mother when she has a newborn baby in fact I always tell my patients that you know these little babies when 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 god sends them to us when allah sends this baby and this gift to us he even provides their own nutrition and nourishment for them so merciful is, is is almighty allah that that this baby comes into this world with its own nutrition so that's 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 the one aspect there are certain things that the mother eats that can affect the baby and it's very often that i get asked that question because You know, our elderly people, our grannies and aunties at home will often tell the mom, don't eat this and don't eat that and don't drink this and don't drink that. There is some truth in it. There is some merit in it. Certain types of food that the mother eats can affect the baby and the baby's tummy, can cause tummy gripes, um, more so if the baby has an allergy. And here I'm going to emphasize, for example, if the baby is allergic to cow's milk protein, so that will cause... Uh, severe rashes in the baby or what we would call eczema that can cause diarrhea in the baby and if the mother has um, dairy in her diet obviously that protein from the dairy is going to go through her breast milk into the baby and it's going to cause tummy upset in the form of diarrhea so certain things that the mother eats can upset the baby but from a scientific point of view specific things if there is a, an allergen like cow's milk protein that's affecting the baby but by far the majority of things that the mothers eat wouldn't wouldn't always upset the baby the best way to know is is to see if there's a relationship between what the mother eats and whether there's any symptoms that it produces in the baby for example cramping twisting turning cringing or diarrhea
Yes, sir, Doctor, looking at this question from Arif, and he says, uh, how sensitive are babies to mum and dad's emotions? That's a good question. I think that's a brilliant question, and I've been actually talking about it a lot this last few days with my patients. What's very important to know is that children across all age groups, from the newborn um, right up to the adolescent, they take the, 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 the cues from their parents and they react to the, emo to the emotions of their parents. So if the parents are happy, that happiness is then transferred to the children, even in a newborn baby. If the parents are stressed, are anxious, are, are in a state of fear, then that feeling, those emotions are also felt uh, by the baby, even a newborn baby. If the mother is very stressed, if the mother is very tearful, if the mother is very anxious, the, the newborn baby can actually sense those emotions in the mother. So I always tell the newborn, uh, mothers of newborn babies, it, it's very important that you, you, you know, you be relaxed, you try and avoid stress or reduce stressful situations because the baby uh, actually picks up on all these cues and it affects the, the overall health of the baby. Okay, yeah, this is a question from Abe Badat, and he says, uh, at what age uh, can one detect that the baby is uh, mentally challenged? Doctor, some powerful questions this evening. So it depends what we mean by mentally challenged, and that has a very wide definition and a very wide meaning to it. You know, in a newborn baby, we could talk about whether this baby has any effects of, of brain damage from either a problem that occurred in the womb, like in what we would say a congenital infection, which means an infection that occurred in the womb of the, uh, of the mother, and that would have affected the development of the brain. And those effects of, the, uh, of, of that infection on the developing brain can be manifested or can be seen at the time the baby is born. And the simple ways you'll find a baby with an underdeveloped brain or, or a very small brain that you can actually... Uh, objectively determined by measuring the size of the head. So you remember routinely when a baby is born, we measure the weight of the baby, we measure the length of the baby and the head circumference. The head circumference tells us about the size of the baby's brain. And we have a range, you know, for what is normal for a baby's brain. So if this baby had any problems or the mother had any significant problems in the womb that affected the development of the brain and that especially in the first trimester, it's easy to determine at the, immediately at the time of birth by simply measuring, taking an ordinary measuring tape and measuring the size of the head, and that would tell us whether this brain has actually been affected or not. And that can be uh, said to be a, a mentally challenged baby. Later on, we can refer to a, a mentally challenged baby by looking at their milestones, which is so important, especially in the first year of life, you know, how we monitor this, this baby and how they reach their milestone. So the simple milestone, by, by six weeks of age, a baby should smile responsibly. And yeah, I'm not re referring to a baby smiling in their sleep. We often see babies smile in their sleep. Here yeah, is when the mom or the dad or the grandparents play with the baby and the baby smiles in response to that play or in response to those stimuli. Um, the second uh, type of, of, of milestone we would look at at the early stages of development would be does the baby start following? And, and that should happen between around five to eight weeks of age. Does the baby start to loud sound? So those are simple ways of looking um, 
at, at this baby's mental development so appropriate for the age. In a child who's six months old, if the child is unable to sit, then we would be concerned. If the child is unable to hold his or her head upright and the head keeps lagging or falling, that would be a concern. If, I would say by 18 months, the child is not able to, to stand or to walk, then I would be worried about it. If the child is not speaking um, understandable words by between two and three years old, then that would be a concern. So to summarize, you know, to assess whether a child is mentally challenged or not depends on the, child, uh, the, 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 the age of the child and what we would expect a child to do at that age. But what's also very important for parents to know is that there's big ranges when we expect children to be able to do certain things. And I often find in my own experience, parents comparing their babies or their children with other children and then getting worried that my neighbor's child is doing this and my child isn't doing it. It's a big range when we expect children to do things. So it's always important to take these babies and these kids for their regular checkup so that we can, we can actually do these assessments and, and pick up on their milestones. And if there's anything we're worried about, we can always look further and, and see whether there really is a problem or not. Marshall, I'm really enjoying the doctor this evening, and I hope uh, you, you and you are really enjoying him. Uh, Marshall, uh, brilliant answers coming through. Bill Keith says, uh, parents expose their children uh, to cell phones. Uh, what are the repercussions, uh, doctor? Yes, and we had that discussion the last time we spoke, if I remember correctly, Brother Shafat, we discussed it quite at length, the effects of technology on the children. And I think it's important for us to be reminded that, you know, personal communication, socializing with our children and, and being there with them and for them, talking to them, spending quality time with them can never, ever be replaced by technology. You know, the good old sitting around the table, talking to the children, sitting with Islamic books and reading to the children, teaching them whether it's circular education, Islamic education, just asking them, how was your day today? Those simple things, spending time with them, is so important, it's so valuable, and it's so significant for the, what we would say, psycho, uh, uh, psycho-educational and psychosocial development, basically to develop them into wholesome and happy human beings. Now, what technology has done is it has deprived our children and us to a certain extent from interacting and socializing uh, with our families. So we tend to spend less time with our children, and our children spend less time with us as well because they're so busy on their devices. They're either sitting on their smartphones or their tablets or on, on, on the television game, and, uh, you know, that takes out a lot of quality time that would have otherwise been spent with children. So the, the literature is very clear. You know, these electronic devices, uh, although they have a lot of benefit, they can be used for research, for gathering beneficial knowledge, if it's not used in the correct way and if it's used excessively, then it can have an impact on the education. It can even affect the attention and the concentration in school and the studies to prove that. So generally, the guidelines are children during weekdays shouldn't spend more than one hour per day on any electronic device because it does affect the quality of sleep. It affects the quality of concentration and their performance in school and in madrasa. So these cell phone devices and all these electronic devices, too much of it has a lot of effects that are, that are not good for the children. 
absolutely looking at Amin's question. It says, uh, what is a doctor's opinion on homemade remedies for babies? Uh, homemade remedies, uh, doctor? I think homemade remedies depends what we're treating, but for some of the conditions, I think it's the best remedies. You know, for example, if you want to treat the common cold, the common cold is caused by a virus, and the commonest virus that causes it is called rhinovirus. So rhinovirus is, is a virus that um, is spread through coughing or sneezing or contact, and it often infects our nasal passages, our throat, causes a bit of sneezing, watery eyes, runny nose, sometimes a bit of throat um, discomfort. And there's definitely no role for antibiotics for those type of infections. And it's so important that we avoid taking antibiotics for those type of infections. In fact, with my patients as well, I always advise them the best remedy for these common viral upper respiratory tract infections like the common cold, like the influenza, is home remedies. So the good old camphor rub or eucalyptus rub works magic. It's got anti-inflammatory properties. It helps soothe your breathing, makes your breathing easier, gives you a much better quality sleep at night. Using honey, and we all know even in the Quran it is mentioned that there is shifa in honey. You know, honey has great medicinal value and property. Then even lemon, I always advocate the use of lemon, freshly squeezed lemon. It's got lots of vitamin C. Vitamin C is very good for the immune system. Um, lemon also has lots of antioxidants, which is good for destroying viruses. The same with oranges. And then ginger as well. You know, it's got lots of, lots of anti-infective properties. So for treating common minor ailments, common viral infections, especially that which we see in children by far, um, I would strongly suggest that parents use all these home remedies because they really work well. They're super effective. They're safe. They're natural. They don't have side effects, and they work well. You know, Doctor, you're a rainbow nation doctor, always putting a smile on every, uh, you know, patient <laughs> of yours. And, you know, parents they always embrace and celebrate you. And I like the eyes of the Quran. You say, uh, verily, uh, there is cure in, uh, in, in, in the Shifa in honey. And, uh, you know, the translation, verily, there is cure in honey. And the Bible says, you know, the Bible says, eat thou honey, my son. So, Alhamdulillah, you can share that with your, uh, you know, over your patients the next time. Say, you know what? Alhamdulillah, yeah. that's, that's very yeah, interesting yeah. and it's something new that I've learned. So, Jazakallah khair for yeah. that, Brother Shafat. Yeah, I must give you the verses because during, you know, with yeah. Sheikh Gidat being his editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, I, we I learned all really So, you know, the commonalities that, I, that brings us together, we should show that to people. And, you know, even look at Ibrahim alayhi salam as a common denominator to Judaism, Christianity and Islam. So, alhamdulillah, you know, you look at the Hajj season, uh, uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar, you know, it is uh, such an important dawah tool. The whole world looks at it. But most of them, the non-Muslims, don't even know who built that Kabatullah. And we don't even take the time to tell them. You know that uh, you see people thronging there, 3 million, 5 million Muslims going around. Do you know who built it? And they'll, they'll, they'll look at you in, in you know, startled. They say, no, uh, we don't, we're not too sure. And you say that was built by Father Abraham and his uh, son, Ismail Ali Salam. So... You know, everything that we do, we can, uh, inshallah, do something there. It's time for us to go to the marketplace, and inshallah, we will continue with this fascinating, uh, fascinating discussion after that. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just gone 8.32 Central African time, and I'm just looking at the compositor that we had made for Dr. Ridwan Umar. It says, on this show this week, uh, pediatrician Dr. Ridwan Umar answers your questions on toddlers. Mashallah. They're so cute. 
I really like that line. Mashallah, they're so cute. And uh, Doc, you know, whenever you look at a child, you just can't stop saying Mashallah. I'm sure you do that, Doc, quite often. Manarayim, alhamdulillah, it is such a great blessing to be able to interact with children every day, to be able to interact with newborn babies every day. You know, I always consider it such a great blessing from Almighty Allah. Because like you said, and, and I was so, so uh, impressed with that line that you came up with, you know, uh, uh, you know, where you said we're talking about toddlers and mashallah, they're so cute. I had a huge smile on my face when I read it. <laughs> uh, and I said, and I said, what a great way to put it, you know. Uh, Alhamdulillah, you really have a great sense of humor, Brother Shafat. And I agree with you totally. You know, so babies, babies are really, really cute. And, and that's, that's also a great blessing from Almighty Allah. And, and the cuteness only gets more and more as they grow up. So from the day they're born, you know, the mother can't take her eyes off the baby. As the baby grows up and, 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 and you know, reaches their infancy years and then their toddler years and then their preschool years, in all the different ways, you know, the cuteness manifests itself differently. And it's amazing how these, these little babies bring joy to the parents with the milestones. And, and I always see, uh, you know, the excitement that parents get when the babies reach a new milestone, when the baby smiles at them for the first time, or when the baby stares at them or looks at them for the first time, or when the baby rolls or sits or crawls, the excitement when the first tooth appears. You know, these are all, these are all part, part of the cuteness of, of, of having a baby that you enjoy, part of the joy of having a child in life. So definitely they're very cute. Just to clear the definitions, you know, when we, when we talk about uh, children, the first month of life, we call them newborn or neonate. That's the first 28 days. And then from one month to one year, we call them infants. And then we call them toddlers from between one year and three years of life. The word toddler actually comes from the English word toddle, where they're learning how to walk. So that's where the word toddler comes from. So when we refer to toddlers in particular, we're referring to the 12-month to 36-month age group. Wow, I can see a toddler trying to go on his walking ring and flying around like a Ferrari. MashaAllah, <laughs> thank you for that, uh, doctor. And uh, this uh, uh, a message from a... Uh, a concerned mother, she says, uh, my mother-in-law insists uh, that a Hakim checks my baby every month for nazar and bad wind. My husband says, let it be for good family relations. I'm sure you get a lot of, uh, you know, people telling, hey, or daughter-in-law's coming up to you, say, doc, this is what my mother-in-law insists. What shall I do? And wha what's your reaction? I often get that question. I think it's almost on a daily basis. Um, especially in the first three months of life, colic is a very, very common condition. And colic is a very difficult condition for the parents to manage. It's a very challenging condition because it's not something that's easily treatable and it, you know, causes a lot of uh, emotional upset, especially in the mother. It can cause a lot of feelings of guilt in the mother, you know, where she might think she's not doing something right or she didn't do something right. Then you get the input from the father and the grandparents and the auntie all trying to tell the mother what to do. Also, we must realize that this time the mother is in a very emotionally sensitive and, 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 and volatile state because she's just given birth. So, you know, they have these postpartum blues that make them even more emotional and sensitive. Then you've got the colicky crying baby. Then you've got the whole family giving their judgments on it and giving their 
uh, you know, opinions of, of what must be done. So when, you know, I always tell the, the mothers and the fathers, look, the grandparents love these babies. They, 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 they look at them as their own children, to be honest with you. They are senior members of the family, and we have to respect them. We cannot show them any disrespect. Obviously, their way of doing things 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, is different to how we do things now. Our understanding of problems in, in, in children and how to address these problems has changed compared to what the, their understanding was 30 or 40 years ago. So our approach to these problems is also very different. Now, from a scientific point of view, we know that colic is a benign condition, which means there's no serious problem with the baby. We know that it takes about three months and it settles down. We know that there's nothing seriously wrong with the baby. And we, we, we have access to certain types of medications that can help the baby. But I would say if the mother-in-law insists that, you know, take the baby to the Hakim for, for a checkup and, and uh, take the baby so that the Hakim can take out another look, it's not going to harm the baby in any way. It will make the grandparents happy. It will make them feel like they're doing something for this baby. Uh, it's a way of showing respect to them as this senior members of our family as our parents. It's so important to show respect to them. So I, I usually tell the parents that it's fine. You know, do, do those things. Uh, it's not going to harm the baby in any way. So there's no but problem can... with it. Gee, Doc, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, reading uh, your mind then. I can also see your friend, uh, Dr. Uh, you know, it's a Mufti Siraj in the UK. Say, hey, Doctor, after both, mashallah, mashallah, answer karrahe. You know, translating is up here. Your answer is first class. So, Mufti Siraj, enjoy the show because uh, I know Dr. Ridwan also has a very close relationship with you. Not forgetting Shafi uh, Fayez and uh, the whole uh, yeah, Spingle clan and then the Jamadars also having a very cordial relationship with Mufti Siraj. Just go ahead, Doctor, because I, I, just, I just got, got carried away there. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, you know, uh, going to the Hakim or going to the Molana or going to the Mufti Saab with the baby and asking them for advice, there's no harm. It will make the grandparents happy. And also, you know, if anything, that, that Alim or that, that, uh, that Mufti will make dua for the baby and that dua definitely will help. So there's only good that will come out of it. What I do caution the parents, however, is to avoid any unsafe remedies or to avoid uh, giving the baby anything that we are not sure about in terms of what it can do to the baby or what it, uh, what effects it can have, you know. So just be careful about about giving the baby any specific remedies if we're not sure about what it is. But there's no harm in taking the baby to an alim or to a scholar of deed, asking him to make dua for the baby and and to check the baby and 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 do whatever he thinks is is good for the baby. As you're long you're as a very likable person. He's so likable even on air. If people haven't seen uh, Doctor, he's got rosy cheeks. They welcome to come and see me. They welcome anytime. anytime. <laughs> I'm describing uh, you to them. He's very rosy. He's efficacious. He's got a permanent <laughs> smile on him. And that's all. I'm going to talk about that. And the doctor's wife will fight with me. Say, hey, don't describe my husband like that on me. <laughs> Rahima says, well, doctor's, doctor's wife is, is very, her family is very close to you, the Jadwit family, you know. So I, I already uh, love them all, you know. Farooq's family, the late Farooq. You know, you, you, you'll make me cry just now because I was just doing an, an, an analysis that, you know, 
Farouk brother went and then, you know, we had our, uh, they called him the Rambo. You remember our Rambo? He's gone. And it's uh, so many. I'm like, I, if I want to go to pick and win, and I say, Ya Allah, so many of them, so many memories have just been taken away. But, you know, Doc, one day you and I will have to, you have to take me. And I just want to, for all, you know, for all times, we'll go and visit it again. And we can recall sure, so Allah. many events. And, you know, the sad part is, uh, Doc, they left the dunya quite young. But uh, they did make That's an cool. indelible impression. And if you look at that triangle, you know, that the, the Nizam Jamadar had that Sassel garage, he's gone. Ibrahim uh, uh, Kara, the pharmacist, is gone from mm. that end. And then mm. you look at Farouk. Mm. Uh, you know, Five it became like a, 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 a dead triangle, Doc. True, that's true. We've lost great pioneers of Isipingo. Yeah, may Allah Ta'ala have mercy on all of them and grant them all Jannah. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean. Uh, yes, uh, Rahima says, uh, how often uh, do uh, consulting parents ask you about your children, doctor? That's a lovely <laughs> question. That's a very cute question. How often do you know, doctor, is. so how, how's your children and how do you react? Yeah, I often get asked that question, you know. Uh, sometimes while I'm examining their baby or playing with their baby, um, and then the question will just pop up, Doctor, how many children do you have? And I always look up with a big smile and I tell them I've got six just to see their reaction. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, I get all different types of reactions. Some of them, like, amazed, and some of them, like, really, Doctor? But uh, And then after I see the reaction and, 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 and then I get, get amused by it, and then I tell them, now, I've just got one son, and he's a big boy. He's grown up now. And then they say, really, doctor, only one son. <laughs> but uh, so I tell them, but Allah has given me all these thousands of children, and they're all mine, you know. So alhamdulillah. I like what you said that, and now uh, thousands, you've got two millions of babies, I know. I see all your babies all the time, yeah, so you always... Yeah, yeah all them. my children, all my children. <laughs> yeah, you're cutting a new baby every uh, hour, I think, alhamdulillah. Hey, every alhamdulillah. Day, alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at Firoza's question, she says, what are the major differences when handling a male and a female baby? Uh, newly married and a family and, uh, okay, he says, I'm newly married and a family on our minds. I'm going to read that again with the gist. Uh, it says, what are the major differences when handling a male and a female baby? And, uh, yeah, this is the important part. Newly married and a family on our minds. Now I've got the context. You got it, Doc? Just the last part, uh, newly married and? and? They have family on the mind. So in other words, they're planning to have uh, babies. Oh, so they don't have any babies as yet? No, not yet. Oh, I see. There's no significant differences in terms of the way you would handle a newborn male baby or a newborn female baby. I mean, if you look at a newborn baby, and if you just look at the face, it's not even easy to tell whether it's a boy or a girl. They look the same. You know, mm. so the anatomy is pretty much the same externally. You have to actually open the diaper to see whether it's a baby boy or a baby girl. So in terms of their physiology, which means how their body functions, it's exactly the same. Uh, I, I would say if they really want to know what the difference would be, I would say in the newborn male baby, just after his circumcision, you've got to be a little careful and a little cautious for the first few days because obviously... That area will be a little tender. It will be a little swollen. You might get a little bit of bleeding over there. So you've got to be very careful when you're doing diaper changes and holding the baby. But besides that, there's no other differences in the way you handle these babies, be they male or female. Alhamdulillah. Doc, you know, we're really having a, like a T20 match this evening, and I'm enjoying every question. 
You know, you, you're having it with a prompt. Are you enjoying yourself this evening, Doc? Alhamdulillah. I always enjoy talking to you, Brother Shafat, and I always enjoy this program and, 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 and the, the companionship of our listeners. Alhamdulillah, definitely they really add value to medical files on Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Allah Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Uh, Shireen says that when a baby cries, I just put some honey on the dummy and the kid is fine for the next 10 minutes. I repeat this according to the howling. <laughs> How do you react to Sister Shireen there, Doc? That's a good question. Now, you see, if the sunnah when a baby is born is the practice of tahniq, which we are all very familiar with. And tahniq is to put something sweet in the baby's mouth at the time of birth. That is the sunnah taught to us by Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Now, that is the one exception where I as a pediatrician would recommend and allow it because obviously that is the sunnah and there is good in it. Uh, but to use honey in, in, in babies under one year, we don't recommend it because there is a risk of, uh, of, uh, of an infection called botulism, which is very, very rare, but it can be found in, 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 in certain types of honey, depending on, uh, you know, where the honey was sourced from and, and all the other aspects that went with regards to the, the storage of the honey and all those things. So, therefore, in babies under one year of age, we don't recommend honey. I would give it if the parents recommended you know, at the time of birth, to practice the sunnah of tahniq, which is the small dot of it on the palate of the baby. But beyond that, I wouldn't recommend it for, for, the, for the one reason is there's a risk of, of this poisoning called botulism. And secondly, you see what happens is if we put it in the baby's, uh, on the dummy and give it to the baby, the baby will only suck the dummy for the duration that the, the honey is on it. And the moment the honey is finished, the baby spits it out. And then the baby cultivates this habit where baby will only suck the dummy if there's something sweet on it. Otherwise, the baby won't suck the dummy. Now, some people are against the dummy, but I'm actually very pro it because it doesn't harm the baby in any way. And babies, uh, you know, they, they have a very, uh, a very strong um, oral stage of their development or a very prominent oral stage of the development. And the dummy helps to pacify them a lot. It helps to keep them quiet. It helps to... That's why it's called a pacifier. You know, it pacifies the baby. So it's a good thing to use for the baby because it gives the parents a lot of quiet time and peace time. But if we're going to give the baby the habit of, 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 uh, of having the dummy with the honey on it, then the baby is going to, is going to spit out the dummy every time there's, the, there's no honey on it. Yeah, Doc, have you seen those uh, big babies with the big uh, dummy uh, lollipops? Eh? I don't know if you had them. But uh, some people yeah. love uh, sucking on those big dummy lollipops. And we come yeah, across the that problem now. there is the sugar content is too high, and sugar is yeah. not good across all ages, young and old. Yeah, you, you got it from the doc. It's not good enough and uh, not uh, too much of sugar there. Uh, this question from Khatoon, uh, she says, uh, will COVID vaccinations become compulsory on every newborn baby? Doctor, very, very powerful question there. So at the moment, vaccines are, uh, for, with regards to COVID is a very topical uh, issue and it's being discussed on all types of forums. We highly recommend it for, for adults. In fact, all adults in South Africa currently, now that they've done the, the healthcare workers, which are the highest risk group, they're now focusing on the over 60s. And, and today, Alhamdulillah, they started with the teachers. In certain countries, like in the United States, in the United Kingdom, they've started doing vaccine trials in children from 12 years and above. 
to establish the safety, firstly, of the vaccine, and secondly, to establish whether it's effective in protecting these people from severe disease and hospitalization. And I think once there's enough data to say that it's safe and it's effective, then they'll probably roll it out in kids over 12 years old. I think in the, in the, in the under 12-year age group, we're still very, very far away from vaccinating them against COVID-19 for various reasons, because you're going to still have to do a lot of trials, uh, et cetera, to determine whether it's safe or not. And the newborn period is going to come even later than that. So I think we're very, very far away from even considering vaccinating newborn babies against COVID-19. But those mothers who are breastfeeding, uh, if they have the opportunity to get the vaccine against covid I'd like to inform all those breastfeeding mothers that it is considered very safe to get the vaccine if you are breastfeeding. And also, some of the benefit of that vaccine will be transferred to the newborn baby. Looking at this question from Artifa, she says, are parents of the artificial intelligence era more challenged than parents of a yesteryear? Um, good question. Absolutely. I think there are far greater challenges because of the influence of all these uh, artificial intelligence that, that our children are exposed to, the type of media they're exposed to, the time that's spent on this media, the quality of media that they're exposed to. And that is why I always emphasize that it's very important that we regulate the time they spend on, on, on all these types of devices and the quality of, of the media that they are exposed to is also very important and we should be regulating it very strictly. We should know exactly what our children are watching and it should always be things that are Islamic, that are educational and that are good for the children. Well said the doc and yes, make sure the kids are on the straight and narrow. Noor Jahan says uh, uh, there is a single parenting boom in uh, this country. So many mothers uh, prefer bringing uh, uh, up uh, children without dads, sadly by choice. But my concern is uh, for the kids who need a dad, uh, dad's a TLC too. What's your thoughts, sir, doctor? Well, look, single parenting is not a natural situation. The natural situation, it's like to have uh, to make a baby, you need a mother and a father. And there's obviously some wisdom behind that. It means that to bring up that baby correctly, you need both the parents. So single parenting is not, not in my personal opinion, it's not, a good way to bring up a child. The child needs the mother because the mother has to play such a significant role in the life of the child, in the upbringing of the child, in teaching the akhlaq and, uh, you know, in, in molding the character of the child. The father also has a very important role to play, not only in terms of financial support, but in terms of emotional support, in terms of psychological support, in terms of even caring for the mother, because we must always remember that a healthy child requires a healthy mother, and a healthy mother requires a good support structure at home. And the father plays a very, very important role in being that, that, that pillar of support, the pillar of strength, and the pillar of security in the home. So I certainly wouldn't encourage single parenting at all. Jazakallah for that, Dr. Leila says, how often do children get nightmares? And more importantly, what about children in war zones? A look at Palestine, Masoons are massacred. Can the panel comment? Doctor, I will leave the comment to you because, you know, it tugs my heart when I, when, when I read questions like this. Your response? 
Yeah, so there's two aspects to that answer. The first is, do children get nightmares? And the answer is yes, they do. We actually call it night terrors. It's very often seen in the toddler age group. There's no specific reason that we can pinpoint as to why they get it. They often get it around the same time each night. It doesn't happen to all kids, but it's a common problem, you know, where the child will wake up screaming in the middle of the night, terrified, afraid. They have this frightened look on their face. And then maybe after 15, 20 minutes, they calm down and they go back to sleep. So it is a common problem. There's no specific medication for it or remedy for it. They eventually do outgrow it, so they do have nightmares. It can be associated with stress. Um, the second part of the, of the answer to the question is with reference to our children in places like Palestine and Syria and all these war-ravaged areas. What we see in those children often, and in young children as well, is mood disorders like depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, and the anxiety disorder that I specifically emphasize here would be a post-traumatic stress disorder. Because of what these children are seeing, what they're experiencing, and what they're going through, it, it, it has detrimental effects on their mental health, and it can cause significant anxiety disorders, which can present in, in, in a myriad of fashions, you know. It can present with behavior problems, conduct disorders. It can present with disruptive disorders or what we would call an oppositional defiant disorder in the child. It can present with uh, severe depression in children. It can present with learning disabilities. So, yes, these, these problems do occur in children. They're often under-recognized. I mean, sometimes if you tell a parent, you know, your child has a depressive disorder or is depressed, and parents will often say, I didn't know children get depression. So it's often under-diagnosed and under, underrated. But I think it's important for us to know that these, these mental or these psychiatric disorders do occur in children but they present differently to how they would in adults. And it's important for us, especially if there's stressful situations that were maybe the death of, of, of a loved one, maybe a grandparent during this COVID pandemic, lots of parents, or lots of children have lost their fathers or their mothers. And those are very stressful events for the children and can present with depression, with post-traumatic stress disorder. We need to be on the lookout for it so that we can help these children. You know, Doc, in uh, 22, uh, yeah, 2011, I went to uh, Mogadishu, Somalia, and a, a humanitarian relief aid. And, you know, when I went to the uh, displacement camps where these uh, kids were starving, they came up to us, and a three-year-old grabbing onto our fingers and grabbing onto our hands and not leaving us. You know, it really uh, made me think at that time, they just needed TLC. And you gave them TLC, they were so appreciative, and they saw what we were doing. So children are very uh, responsive. Um, they're very receptive, and uh, you know they, they they have this uh, intuition that they know that certain individuals are benefiting us. Uh, your response? Absolutely, I agree with you totally on that. Children are very receptive to our emotions. They're very receptive to how we show them love, to how we care for them. In fact, you know, I was even telling parents this week in my room about how important it is to make eye contact with the newborn baby. You know, they actually so receptive to a simple thing like making eye contact. And parents, you know, mothers often complain to me, doctor, at 2 o'clock in the morning, my baby wakes up, and then the baby's eyes are open, and the baby's looking at me, and the baby cries if I turn the other way or if I put the light off. And I tell them that, that eye con the baby is actually asking you to make eye contact with him or her. And that eye contact is actually a very important part of your baby's emotional needs. So 
Even a newborn baby has that emotional need in the form of eye contact with its mother. And, and a child, no matter how old the child is, you know, that, that, that love from the mother or the father is absolutely essential. Yeah, doctor, and also, you know, I've been reading many articles, but, you know, you don't know which article to believe because our pre- president had his uh, iPad stolen. He said, who stole my iPad? I mean, that was uh, shocking. But uh, was. the children of uh, uh, the modern era are more angry children, uh, children that lose their cool very quickly. And would you say that uh, are they talking uh, more quicker than children of yesteryear, doc? If you're referring to speech development, we're actually seeing children often now speaking or learning their you know, language much later than, 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 than would have been in the past, I would say. Wow. I often get parents coming to tell me that, you know, my child is two years old and he doesn't speak. You know, my child is one and a half years old and he's still babbling. And I think part of that is because we don't speak enough to our children. We don't sit down and read books to them. That's how they develop their language skills. And that's one of the detrimental effects of, of these artificial intelligence and all these media platforms because, you know, we, we all spend so much of time on it that we sometimes end up neglecting our kids with it. So it's, it's, it's really important that we spend time and we talk to our children and we make conversation with them so that we develop their language skills. With regards to anger issues in children, yes, I think it is far more common now than it was before. And I think that too, there's lots of reasons as to why that's happening. And it's all got to do with lifestyle changes. If you look at the lifestyle of 50 years ago to the lifestyle of today, it's changed dramatically. I mean, it's probably, I would say, it's, it's like a total somersault. And all those effects will definitely impact on the, on the, on, on the, on the psycho-emotional aspect of this child. So it's important for us to be aware of that. Doc, I'm looking at the time. You can't believe it. It's only 30 seconds left for this program. And I can tell you, you've scored, not, uh, you've scored a double century in uh, 20 overs, yeah? A double century by Dr. Hey, I can see the whole Ummah thing, mashallah. Doc, you're passing words uh, this evening? Um, I always end by praising Almighty Allah. I thank Him for His blessings on us. I ask Him to protect all of us. I think it's very important that we have these discussions. It helps us to improve our understanding of children. They are a very, very special group of people. They are not little adults. They're very different to adults in all aspects. I think it's important to know that. And uh, I think it's important for us to always make dua that Allah Ta'ala protect our children and Allah Ta'ala always keep them on the straight path. Ameen. Ameen, our Dr. Ridwan Umar, an asset to the house of Islam. Allah keep you and uh, whatever you do, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you barakah in that. Doctor, always a pleasure having Ameen. you. Looking forward to talking to you Ameen. soon on this platform. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair. My, my sentiments are exactly the same. Brother Shafat, may Allah ta'ala reward you and may Allah ta'ala reward you abundantly for the good work that you do for the ummah. May Allah ta'ala reward each and every listener. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to Dr. Ridwan Umar. What a wonderful, beautiful chatter this evening. And uh, to you, you and you who have sent in the question, the big jazakallah khaira to you. You make the show as uh, what it is uh, today. It's all because of the interaction we get from our listeners. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan. And after that, we'll be in a pertinence, a punctuated zone.